this. <laughs> Did it work? It's working? Oh, no, I can't deal with that. That can't be. No, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> we need something. All right. Flag on the play here, but whatever. We're, we're just doing it. Sorry, everybody. All right. Ah, hi, I'm Jay Ryan. Welcome back to the Late Night Playset. I hope you can hear me. It seems like you can. My little clicker isn't working, but we've got a great show for you. Uh, Nicole Ryan is to my right over here. She looks like this. And uh, we've got a great guest by the name of Mark Carzen. Mark Carzen uh, was the still photographer on Late Night with David Letterman. <laughs> rather influential in my life personally. Um, he did all the bumpers, the late night bumpers, in and out of the commercials, all the photography, all of the artwork. Um, he was uh, very involved in what made that show look how it looked, which as I mentioned was rather influential to, to me and people like me. Uh, so we're going to be talking uh, all about Late Night with David Letterman uh, as well as his book, The Letterman Bumpers, which is available now on Amazon, as well as a show he has with uh, auctions or an auction, I should say, an auction with pieces that you could own. Some, you could own some Letterman bumpers. You could own a Letterman bumper, however much you want to spend. You could own all the Letterman bumpers, probably, if you get enough money. Um, anyway, that's what we're talking about. Plus, it's amusement park night. We have got East Coast Feed at Great Adventure Park in New Jersey. And we have Mike Chisholm, producer Mike, in uh, Disneyland. He's experiencing Star Wars land for the first time. And <laughs> we, we literally have footage of him seeing it all for the first time. And... Uh, I don't want. I don't want to spoil it. It's rather emotional. It's emotional footage. Uh, you can see it on his face. Um, just stay tuned. Stay tuned. Please like, subscribe right now. The name of the show is Late Night Playset. My name is Jay. The lady to my right, as I mentioned before, is Nicole, and we're going to start it right now. Take it away, Will. <laughs>
we did it. All right. That's exciting. Yay. Hello, everybody on Instagram. Let's see. Welcome back to the Late Night Playset. My name is Jay Ryan. To the my right is the pretty girl, Nicole Ryan. It is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. Uh, first things first, Tradecraft Tuesday. Get you going on that. Um, and then to explain to everyone else what's going on, um, Tradecraft Tuesday, as I mentioned, our guest is Mark Carson. We're going to be talking all about um, old David Letterman days and, uh, and his photography and his own creativity and uh, how he was a part of making... Uh, something that became very influential in my life. And um, let's see, we got to talk about GVBC. We have an East Coast feed from Great Adventure, as I mentioned. It's Amusement Park Night. And we've got to check in with producer Mike, who is at Disneyland. Disneyland! <laughs> What's happening with the Instagram audience? Hello, Bubbles. Oh, Shazam's over here. Hi, buddy. You're not on YouTube, but you are in the chat. It's very cool. Bobby Holland Art is here. Left Coast 912. Sophia... Gregores, Gregores. Shazam Mike says, I am at Huntington Beach while my family eats. I ducked out to say hi. Oh, awesome. Whoopsie daisy. Where, where are you, uh, Shazam Mike? Where are you eating in Huntington? Are you on the strip there by the pier? I'm guessing. Oh, here we go. Here, jo join in. Join in. Here we go. Let's see if this works. Should be okay here. If he, uh, if he gets that message in time. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, Tradecraft Tuesday, I mentioned that. Um, the reason it's Tradecraft Tuesday is Mrs. Ryan. The, oh, there we go. It, it did. Here he is. What's up, buddy? Greetings, everybody. <laughs> You're on the same coast. It's the same time. You're outside. There's a band behind me playing uh, Miserloo, the theme to Pulp Fiction, which uh, is very awesome. And I'm very happy to be here. Hey, everybody. <laughs> uh, we're happy to have you, buddy. I'm assuming you're enjoying your trip. Oh my god, it's like I'm gonna get to a place where I can hear you a little bit better. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a fantastic trip. It's exactly what the doctor ordered, uh, but it's not complete, not even close, because Thursday night is where I am going to uh, really, really start enjoying the trip when I come see you guys. Very thrilled about that. Uh, I don't know. I saw a video of you entering Star Wars land, and I think it's going to be hard to compete with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just see if you can see the same look on my face as you see the same look on my face as I see that desk and those chairs for the first time. You know, this is. Um, same look. I was going to do this later, but can I just play this video for everybody else right now? You won't be able to see it on Instagram, but can I can I play it for everyone else? Do what you got to do in man. the studio. That all right, this I was going to do this after these coast feed, but I think we'll, we'll flip the script since we've got producer Mike here right now. Um, this is a video your wife took, right? Your wife, Candace. Yeah. Okay. Right so, before I started sprinting to the Millennium Falcon, she took a video of me, and as soon as I saw the Millennium Falcon, I took off like a rocket. <laughs> okay. All right, I have this video queued up. Uh, roll it, Hal. Okay. Here we go. Wait, wait. Look at that face. Look at that face. <laughs> <laughs> so happy. Um, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that is some deep nerdy determination. Right. You look great. You look great. You look you look like you were uh, enjoying the emotional experience. I, yeah, I completely immersed myself in the experience. I allowed myself to become a child again. And like I said, about a second or two after that video ended, I saw the Falcon in, in between the, the buildings. 
and I took off like a rocket to go see it. And uh, yeah, I just I was a child. When uh, when when our guest Mark Carson just handed me this book a few moments ago before the show, and he simply just opened up to a, a few random pages with with nothing uh, of of any specific intent, um, I just sort of must have showed him a look on his face, and I said. Does everyone react the same way I do? This is my childhood. I, had to, I was like, this is uh, part of my DNA, and uh, I doubt you ever intended that. <laughs> so we're, we're going to mention that. So I, I had a little bit of that twinkle. So I know what you're talking about, um, but I can't wait to have you explain it to everybody when you're here on Thursday. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to uh, stop bogarting the time here uh, on the show because you got Mark there. And uh, please say hi to him for me, or actually if you can hear me. Hi, Mark. I do. Um, he, he was just watching you. He just got up right now. There he is. Oh, <laughs> uh, right on. I, uh, I'm very, very excited. There he is. Hey, buddy. Um, thank you so much for being on my show, and I'm so excited that uh, that he's there. I wish I could be there tonight. But H- Hang on. on your, sh- your show, you mean, what's it called? The Letterman Podcast. There you go. Uh, available where fine podcasts are available and on YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you guys are going to have a phenomenal conversation I can't wait to come back to the room tonight and watch this episode of Late Night Playset and see uh, and hear everything that you guys talk about. It's going to be awesome. Before uh, you leave, I've got a couple pictures lined up here uh, just because we have you here. There's a couple pictures lined up on my phone here. Can we go through these and you tell us what's going on here? Well, that's the plunder that is In-N-Out Burger. Uh, The moment we got off the plane and got into the hotel, we immediately jumped in the Uber and went to the In-N-Out Burger. And I put myself into a bit of a food coma. I ate three double-doubles. Oh, my God. Didn't get the fries because I love the double-doubles so much. And then uh, promptly went down to the pool and fell asleep in the sun for 45 minutes. It was glorious. <laughs> is that uh, – you just knocked out? Is it like a, a full coma there? Is that what it is? No, I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain there's something called the in-and-out coma, but uh, – You ate six patties and bread. Like, that's what that is. She's oh, right. Yeah. There you go. She's there right. You go. She's right about that. Um, I'm going to try okay. to replicate that at least twice more throughout the trip. I love In-N-Out Burger very, very much. And we don't have them up there in the Canada, so... We'll, we'll yeah. talk about that on Thursday when you're here, because I don't get that whatsoever. Sure. But, um, all right, tell me about what's going on here. So that's me. Uh, that's me sitting in um, Boba Fett's throne, which I was delighted oh. to see was in Disneyland from the Book of Boba Fett. I thought and it was so, the Game of Thrones. I didn't know what it was. Uh, it's the same thing, just in space, right? There's me talking hey, with boop. the icon himself, R2-D2, and uh, we had a, we had a I don't know, probably a two or three minute exchange. He's extremely sassy, and uh, uh, yeah, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, there we are. See, we finally became buddies. It took a while to convince him that we were friends, though. <laughs> uh, oh, and sassy. then and then this is just, this is very Disney. That's, well, yeah. I mean, we saw a lot of the characters, but we were just uh, enamored with the size of Daisy Duck, how small she is. She's so teeny tiny, and we had a good picture with her, so that was that was, that was nice. <laughs> is she smaller than the rest of the uh, characters? What are they called? Cast, cast members? Oh, she is. Oh. Much. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, much smaller. Is that just because uh, maybe this is an equal opportunity employment situation, or is this the type of thing where Daisy has always been drawn smaller and we never noticed? Those are decisions made above my pay grade, Jay, but I would <laughs> okay. imagine that diversity does have something to do with it, yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Oh, hang on. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is a place I don't believe you're even allowed to take photos. How did you get a selfie in here? 
Yeah, uh, I actually uh, took an entire video of the second time we went on Rise of the Resistance, and um, I don't know if they were messed up the ride, but there's a place where in the middle of the ride they bring you onto the the the, the loading landing deck of a star destroyer, and they just left us there like <laughs> for like five minutes, and we were like, okay, and so we started exploring and walking around. And that was uh, that was quite the thrill being on the landing bay of a star destroyer. Be something if that was just part of the ride, right? Like, oh, they just sort of see the how other, you figure your way out well, of it. Like a uh, what do they call those safe rooms or something? Not safe room, uh, escape room. Sure, escape room. Escape sure. rooms. Yeah. The um, well, the I'm gonna well, I'm already ex- uh, exposed how nerdy I am. The other, <laughs> I I asked. It was my fault. We went on the rise of the resistance. The other three times, you were literally rushed through that room. Like holy cow, and then into the next room. That's what I've always seen, so that one. you can't uh, you can't break the immersion. The whole point right. is that they rush you through some of these things, so that you can't find out where the seams are because they're, you're so immersed in these environments. Yes. Um, that's one of the ones though you could poke pretty hard at and not find a hole. That and when you're moving through those giant those big walking dog creature thing from Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a Star yes. Wars guy. But when you're I you know see. driving underneath those, that was super cool. I screamed when we went into that room. Like I literally screamed like a like an eight year old boy. It was delightful. <laughs> All right, that doesn't surprise me. I saw your face. I'm so happy for you. Uh, this is a, a dream come true for you. This is going to be one hell of a trip. You're coming here on Thursday, and then when are you going to see Dave? Dave's on Saturday night. Amazing. So, uh, come see you guys first. Can't get to see the big man without getting sitting in that chair. So I'm very <laughs> yeah. excited about that. Make sure that. you tell him. I'm sure he'll be, <laughs> he'll be thrilled. He'll want to know all about it. Uh, all right. Have a great trip. Enjoy uh, dinner with you. Don't get hit by that Jeep Cherokee there. What's that? What's going on there? Holy crap. Absolutely. They're, they're uh, eating on the beach right now. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah, we love you. Enjoy your meal. And uh, we'll see you, I guess, Thursday, right? Here in here in the playset. Yep. We're, uh, we're moving on Thursday, and I'll be in communication as to when we're going to come by. By the way, uh, before you go, c- uh, congratulations on a great episode of the Letterman Podcast that went up today. Everybody should go check it out. It's uh, Eddie Brill, who was a longtime comedy booker and a uh, longtime warm-up guy. Um, he's got a long history in comedy, uh, uh, running his own clubs to doing his own dates and shows. But uh, it's a great episode, great listen, great watch. We watched it on YouTube. Um, and I just want to let you know that you're only on episode three, and I think that you're doing a great job. As you start to get yeah. these bigger guests, I think you are going to really... I think you're going to gain the confidence that is the only thing you're missing. The show, you look confident as hell. I talk to you off the air, and I know that you're still like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. You're killing it, and uh, and go have dinner knowing that you're killing it. Uh, that means a hell of a lot to me. Thank you so, so much. All right. Uh, oh, thank you. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Nicole. Nice. Nice seeing you guys. And uh, again, say hi to Mark. All right, don't cry again. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) No, not this time. Save that for Thursday. See you later. All right, bye, buddy. You're going to have to end, though, because I don't know how to kick you out of here. Well, that was easy. Uh, Okay, all right. Well, gee whiz. We we actually took care of a lot of stuff there. So while that seemed like it might have been long, we were were moving moving right along here. Producer Mike, LA Adventures, we got that out of here. Um... Real quick, let's do the East Coast Pete since we're on the amusement park uh, theme. And this is uh, Danbury Chive checking in from Great Adventure in Jersey. Roll it out. That's right. East Coast Pete! Jonesy, tell us with you and Nicole, where are we? We're on the Ferris wheel so high. <laughs> we're on what park are we on? Great Adventure. Great Adventure. And what did we do when we first got here? We did the safari. We saw a lot of animals like the lions. And 
and ostrich, ostrich yeah. giraffe, tiger, and an elephant. I know. Oh, that's it. Did anyone catch her shirt there? Future Jedi? Her shirt said Future Jedi. That's <laughs> so cool. I, I didn't realize the uh, connection here. I'm just playing just the beginning. Again. He's so speed! Jonesy, tell him to be Nicole, where are we? Uh, We're on the Ferris wheels Future so Jedi. high! <laughs> <laughs> so there's a tie-in there with our, with our other little kid at Disneyland, producer Mike. Uh, oh, man, this is so fun. Okay, done, done, done. Uh, now, the only bit of business I have to tell you before the commercials is GVBC. GVBC has been great. It's amazing. Obviously, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, the world seems to know that at, at this point. But I need to tell you that as the presence increases with, uh, with folks coming up to visit, um, so does the incident rate. <laughs> so uh, this is the part where I uh, remind and ask everybody to please respect the crest, whatever that is for you. I'm not going to tell you how to drive or what to do, but uh, I feel like a reminder of respect the crest is good. We ended up taking the backside down on Friday because we heard that there was an incident down the front, um, a Porsche something happened to Porsche crash. Um, <clears throat> so we went down the back and uh, sure enough, we were met by our own incident where uh, there was a BMW crash. So um, we liked it better when there were no crashes. <laughs> and quite frankly, we liked it better when there were no crashes associated with GVBC. Uh, so let's go back to that, shall we? Yeah. Um, you know, shit happens up there. So it's, I'm not blaming anybody. I mean, we've had incidents ourselves and we are pretty darn careful. Um, so like I said, it's, it's not a, this isn't a pulpit thing. I'm not telling you how to drive or what to do, but, um, we all need the reminder to kind of keep it in check every once in a while, stay present, breathe, it's be aware, a eyes up. It's a reminder to be conscious of the surrounding always. You have a, a rock wall on one side and a, and a bottomless cliff on the other side, like a, a James Bond's, uh, or what's it, we always call it, uh, Indiana Jones style, impossible cliff. Every episode, every, uh, movie has an impossible cliff. And it's just hundreds and hundreds of feet down. So you really don't have a lot of um, margin for error. Um, uh, so respect the crest. That's it. All right. Love everybody. And wh while you're respecting the crest, wouldn't it be great to uh, 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 <laughs> enjoy some GVBC merch? And the official licensed gear of GVBC is available from Dual Shift, D-U-E-L, Shift, on Instagram or DualShift.com. It's our good friend David Torres' company, and uh, he handles the merch for the good vibes, and we love him. Thanks. Everything's been kind of out of stock. He's doing his best. <laughs> I think it's the supply chain issues. They could put out just stuff. <clears throat> they could keep cranking out stuff, but you know they've got kind of quality. We have standards. We have standards. We don't want to just throw out a shirt. Quality's part of our dam. I get Thanks it. Thanks for saying that. All right, that's it. Now we got to pay some bills. <laughs> they say all which separates men and boys is the coverage for their toys. What types of toys, Mrs. Ryan? Collector cars and cars that drive any kind, really. Cars that drive. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> cars that drive, cars that don't drive. Electric cars, gasoline Any kind cars. of vehicle. That's right. But truly anything that needs insurance. It could be your home. It could be your business. It could be your chainsaw collection. It could be your stamps, your coins, um, your late night bumpers. <laughs> people are these i'm not joking these are highly sought after to collect the actual originals which he auctions off um very high profile buyers uh, it's not just nerds like me <laughs> a little bit of everything uh so all of those things are insurable and uh 
<clears throat> oh, shit, that's the wrong one. Here it is. Licensed in most states, St. Clair Insurance shops the top providers so you get the best coverage for your toys. If I were you, I'd check out St. Clair Insurance at coverageforyourtoys.com. 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 And tell Jeff St. Clair that Nicole says hello because... I can't. <laughs> You're doing great today. How you feeling? Horrible. Oh, that's such a bummer. The days where I think you're great and you're looking good it's and you're the just the worst. Ugh. And it, it, it's your body that hurts. That's what hurts the most. I have to give a disclaimer. I don't really feel pain because I smoke a ton of pot, so I don't <laughs> feel the pain. But I know I would be in so much pain if I let myself feel it because I can tell. Yeah. And my legs are really not working at all. Yeah. The so. wiring's just. Fried and non-existent. It used to kind of come back a little bit, and now every strain affects me differently. And when I'm on one for longer, like it affects me different. So I just am learning. I have to learn each one over. I need to get uh, Chris, Chris Gabriel. Shout out to Chris Gabriel and the uh, it's cannabis, but then also the new line is called Hydrotic. Um, he's a cultivator. He's a he's a he's a businessman that's what he really is he's got huge stores um and and huge lines of product but that one seems to be you know the, the tradecraft stuff is good as a balance but the chris one seems to be like the one that sort of levels you out a little bit it's a really good base like he's really smart about it and thoughtful and we talk a lot about what I need and what helps and what does what because it's not always what it says and then he tries to cultivate like grow a plant with that stuff in it so that for it's better me. for you. <laughs> it's it's amazing. amazing. I'm lucky in the weird, weirdest ways. Like I'm not lucky for the obvious ones, but I'm lucky for other ones. You in the, in the, are yeah. an obvious one, but <laughs> no, the MS obviously is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, we say it all the time, but you're a trooper. MS Warrior, all that stuff. Uh, the Autoimmunity Foundation, everybody. Uh, stay tuned. Hopefully next week we'll have some things to share on that. Uh, hopefully Mrs. Ryan will have some things to share on that. Hopefully Nicole Shabbat Ryan will have some things to share on that. Hopefully my brain works. Fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> Everything, I have every thought together for like two minutes. And then it melts away and I just start all over. Can you explain what that's like to people? Because that, that must be so frustrating. It is really frustrating and it's... I'm dick, but, like, I'm really smart. So, like, it's really deep ingrained in here. So every... Goes I think what you're experiencing is you know what you used to be able to accomplish and know and think and grab and retain. It's weird to not be able to go to anything you think you know. Like, I reach for shit and nothing's there. So it's like being in a dark room all the time with your eyes closed, hands out, no idea what's there. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like if you go to pick something up? In my brain to make any, to find information and make anything work. Oh, it's a dark room up there. It's like a, a storage room with no light. Yeah. Oh, God, that's an awful visual you just painted. That's what it's like. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. All done. <laughs> Good luck finding anything up there. I mean, it's so, amazing. You, you're, you're a freaking miracle. Yes. And I'll say again, I'm a dick by trade, by design, but, like, I don't want to be a jerk to people. Look, when we finally figured out, like, wh who the hell are we on these people? It, it, uh, me, it was finally once. All right. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> I'm, I'm so anxious to get our guest in here. I hate rambling, but this is kind of important stuff for you. So 
when we finally figured out who the hell I was on this show, it was like this person with this this <laughs> this wit uh, 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 and biting uh, personality of David Letterman, but with this undoubted desire to be Mr. Rogers is who I am. And I think you're not all that dissimilar. Like you're somebody who professionally you were a effing bitch <laughs> on wheels because you used to just just how you used to get shit done. You were like a power player in the business out here. People don't know that because they didn't know you were invisible then. Now that we're in front of people, they don't know what you used to do. So I really think you're constantly comparing new life of well, fuck it, new Nicole to old Nicole. And I think that that's perhaps where some wiring issues get screwed up. Because you're, you, you, I think you're handicapping yourself, forgive the term, by going, oh, I used to be able to do that and I can't anymore. So it's like, oh, that's a terrible place to start from. How about... I did, but I've stopped that and I'm like more in the moment, which every time I can do less, I go lean more into that. So it's like, just do what you can. Gratitude for what you can do and, and live there. Which to me sounds horribly hokey. So I have to change the words to make it more suitable. I think when we're living where we are and with what we're doing, you have to be a little hokey and all of the trite stuff that your parents and grandparents said, all those little tiny little one little do this, don't do that, because whatever. They're, they were all true. They're all accurate. It's just a simpler life and we were all speeding, speeding, speeding through it because life goes so quickly. Now that we have to take the time to slow down and choose to take the time to smell the roses, the perspective changes, the outlook changes. And um, I think maybe that's what's happening for you. I would lean into that. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> enough. Enough. All right. Thanks for anybody who stayed through that. Um, we love you. Uh, all right. We did one commercial. There's one more. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. We're getting there. Uh, Series One Films. This episode has been brought to you in part by Series One Films. Let me tell you about Series One Films. <laughs> Series One Films helps automotive brands create engaging cinematic content for social media and advertising to grab and hold your ideal customer's <laughs> attention. Check them out at series1films.com. 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 The one is a number one. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Great job. How do you feel? Fine. <laughs> Not in life. How do you feel about what we've done here? Amazing. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for hanging out on Instagram. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about Oh So Delicious Hot Sauce, the best jingle in the world. And then we're going to get our guest Mark Carson in here. Uh, Mrs. Ryan, Oh So Delicious Hot Sauce is? The hot sauce made by bears. <laughs> hot sauce made by bears. Oh, so delicious. It's the hot sauce made by bears. Garlic and serrano mixed with love and care. You can put it on your eggs, pour it on your rice. It's creamed on a leg, it's better on a slice. It's oh, so delicious. It's the hot sauce made by bears. Oh, so delicious hot sauce. Great on everything except oatmeal. Get your bottle today at ohsodelicious.org. One dollar from every bottle sold goes to the National Military Family Association. I'm Johnny Lieberman, and you're watching LMP. What does LMP stand for? Late Night Place. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've been on there. Yeah, good show. <laughs> you should like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> what are you driving today? 63 356B. Hey, 
are you driving today? Here we go. mic over there and get, make yourself comfortable anywhere and then bring the mic. We are sitting here with Mr. Mark Carson, the author of this book right here, but more than that, somebody who was there when the stuff that we're sitting at was conceived and developed, and uh, I can't wait to hear anything you want to tell us. It is great to meet you, Mark Carson. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I don't know where to start. Um, I guess Late Night with David Letterman, 82. It was... Um I moved to New York just before that, and my roommate worked on Saturday Night Live. And so every once in a while, she'd have a free, t an extra ticket. They gave tickets to cast, uh, crew and cast. And so I'd go to the taping at SNL from time to time, you know, once a month, and then the pace picked up. And I became friendly with um, a friend of a friend of hers who is this guy, Bob Pook, who was the graphic art director on the show. And so was he we, working on both shows? Is that how? No, this is before Letterman. Oh, I see. This is just SNL. Oh, but he was working on SNL, I see. Just SNL. And so the, the morning show started, and I'd known, we were just pals at that point. And so... So then I misdated this. We're at like 1980 then. This is 80. And I moved to New York in, um, I think, January of 80. And... All of a sudden, I had tickets to go to see the morning show, and I went two or three times, I think, including the final episode oh. where the uh, the sparklers and the set caught on fire. and Famously caught on fire, right? Yeah. It was sparklers and confetti, and yeah, it's a bad mixture. Like sure. It was crazy. <laughs> but so, we're in 30 Rock. We're in the antenna in the middle of Midtown. You don't want a fire so there. that can't happen. <laughs> At 10 in the morning. No. Nope. Or 10.30 in the morning. It was a little nuts. That's a disaster. <laughs> And so anyway, because of that, and so then the show went off the air, and Pook and I remained friends, and he started learning a bit about what I was doing photographically and how I shot for magazines and, and um, mainly magazines and some record labels also, mm. CBS Records, a lot. And Like covers or? Uh, um, uh, PR photos. I shot Wynton Marsalis. I shot Scandal. Billy Joel, other acts like that for publicity. Not I never actually shot albums, but okay. I shot PR photos and press photos. Um, so one day, out of nowhere, I call my answering machine. Back in those days, we had those little things that you bleep into the phone. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm bleeping into the phone, and I get this message from Pook who says, I don't know where you are, but if you can get to 30 Rock at the corner of 49th and 30 Rock in the next two hours. We need to do a shot. We've got a cement truck coming up, and they're going to lay wet cement on the sidewalk, and we're riding in wet cement Saturday Night Live, 
and the photographer we have is nervous about the lighting and the sun's going down and we don't have a permit to pull cable and we need a battery powered unit which somehow I told him I had that (laughs) I mean that's that was my little secret weapon back in those days I could show up anywhere and light anything in the middle of a field or in the middle of you know midtown when other people would have needed a generator and all the other accoutrement yeah so it was a cool little unit back then and so called him back and got organized got my stuff jumped in a cab and there I was cement truck came up laid it down and we're you know we back in those days we had to use a polaroid we did, this was pre-digital so we're shooting polaroids and you could see the reflection the right place in the shadows and and the difference between the wet cement and the dry cement everything looked great took the film to the lab proof sheets came back made prints this is a few days obviously of to course, do that yeah. whole process and everything was perfect and so from that so the Anyway, a few weeks later, like three weeks later, those photos ended up in the main title sequence of Saturday Night Live. And there I am in the green room on the set and live from New York at Saturday night. And there's there are my photos on the screen and the crowd's going wild with the band playing. Unbelievable. And that changed my life. That was the moment. All of a sudden, I was a photographer for television. Not just a pretty like, premiere show at the time too. A pretty hot show at those in those days. Yeah. So that changed everything. And and once again, you know, Letterman's off the air at this point. So this is the beginning. Having just been canceled, the morning show was canceled. I'm sorry. So that was eighty. The the morning show after that. So that, at that point, Pook and I are friends, and a year or so later, um, we started talking about this late late night show that Dave was going to build um, in place of Tom Snyder. And so the idea of having no logo sort of became the theme. He sold that idea to the producers and to everybody upstairs. Really? That there was not uh, established? There was no logo. The idea was to not to have a logo. So let's shoot, you know, a freeway sign and replace exit only with late night that, you know like that was yep. the simple idea or the side of a bus as if it was a found object right and so graphically we could integrate whatever title we wanted and it that helps could, with your themes too right because it's not just one specific thing you could if you got one guy on you put the subway on you get another thing on you put the wedding cake on all your different none of that was thought through it was as simple as we have no logo. We can take a picture of the front of Madison Square Garden and make it late night gardens. That's the idea. Yeah. And they said, great, go. And so we just started going out on these, you know, simple shoots. This is like at the end of 81 with, you know, subway signs and freeway signs and, you know, a bus. Just obvious, simple little things. Um, a you know a, a, a subway or what do you call those the cap on the street the big metal round cap thing oh manhole cover Ma- a manhole yeah there you go I remember thank that you. one thank you <laughs> I remember that one <laughs> so like yeah so manhole covers and stuff like that um, 
And then as we got into it, after we did, you know, like four or five shoots, and initially we were shooting a few times a week. Ultimately, we were shooting once a month. But once we got into it, um, we'd come up with concepts. You know, let's go and shoot, um, you know, transportation stuff or baseball, you know, a baseball shoot at Yankee Stadium Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. Um, and then the bumpers actually started to take a utility and, you know, fill in things on the show. So it was, it was not intended to be as big a role as it became. Not at all. Not at all. First of all, nobody knew what the, the show was going to actually look and feel like, uh, you know, as, as Dave said in the past, you know, they ordered six weeks of shows and then another six, and then maybe three months, and at a certain point we were up to a year, and then it's like, oh, and then they kept renewing at these different paces. It was always I, temporary. Yeah, it was. It was experimental. Wow. Everything was experimental, and so it took everybody time to find you know the pace and the rhythm, and the tone, and what worked, and what you know Dave thought was funny, and what the audience thought was funny, and what you know played. It's so interesting to me because you say the show didn't have a logo, but of course I think of that varsity script, the the baseball logo. I don't know what it's actually called. I uh, think of that as being the logo because I guess it became over time. It over time it became so here. So the story here, I'll show you. Here you go. So where are we? Yeah. So this logo. Well, it's ours too. I mean, like we still we still that same baseball for, for our late night. <laughs> so, what we used to do is hang out up in the um, art department at Thirty Rock um, during Saturday Saturday Night Live tapings. Um, and so, when they would do a dress rehearsal, now, I know that building so well, Mark, because that's where I started too at Saturday Night Live in Conan in Six A. So, where were you? Because I know we were on the second floor. Oh, okay. Second Mezzanine. floor on the Sixth Avenue side. Yeah, 2M or whatever. Yeah. So we'd hang out there during the dress rehearsal, which was like at 7 o'clock or 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And we would, um, you know, I may have worked on some graphics and some photos and intros or whatever that were, that were in the show. Or we were also working on things for, for late night during that time and we just literally hang out in the art department sometimes i bring a blender and you know vodka and frozen limeade and we whoop up some blender drinks while we're watching the dress uh, the dress rehearsal and then hang out for a while and and changes would come down from the show and so the the graphic artist would maybe change a graphic um at the last second you know to fix a sketch um and during all of that you know I'm just sort of in the – I mean, I'll, I, I'll never forget the moment. On the workbench was a sh- photo stat of all of the Major League Baseball logos because the art department did graphics for sports and news and Saturday night and Letterman. Because and it was the NBC graphics department. It was the department. NBC graphics right. department. And so there were all these logos and the Baltimore Orioles sh- like that. And the Dodgers had the Whoosh logo. And I'm just kind of looking at this. And I just started sketching late night with the idea of, like, you know, why don't we do a late night 
jacket. Just going to be one. For late night. Yeah. Yeah, this will be cool. And so I just started sketching that on a piece of paper. And then I gave it to Pook and I said, why don't we do a late night jacket, you know, for a bumper? And so he gave it to one of the other designers. They cleaned it up and and cut out a felt logo and stuck it on the back of a piece of wardrobe jacket and we shot it for a bumper and You're, it wasn't this. so this is not a real uh, varsity jacket this is that one they, is oh i see okay so based on that first bumper which dave approved he dave looked at that bumper and said let's make christmas presents oh, and so this nice. is one of the manufactured jackets from the beginning from the beginning wow. so that was probably six months after the first one was done at least six months and on that print you can see that with david letterman is drawn on top of it and so that's basically how the bumpers work that's amazing and of course we all love milk duds who doesn't <laughs> that's my favorite movie going candy uh i mean this jacket became so iconic i mean fans wanted this jacket. I yeah. wanted this jacket. Well, walking around New York wearing that jacket got a lot of attention. I bet. And there were only a few hundred made. Oh, we got you made. free drinks. There were only a few hundred made. And then they, there was a second run done maybe three or four months later. After, so after everybody got them for Christmas, which was great, and then we started using them in bumpers like that. Right. Um, then they made another run, but... As you know, as I said, they they didn't make those ongoing. I mean, the show ran for eleven years, and that was the only one of those they did. They did jackets every year, but they were always different ones, right? No, oh. no. They was there was another late night jacket that was done in a totally different style, uh, sort of a satiny looking jacket. Oh yeah, I remember that one again from the bumpers, though. I think we we yes we shot that in bumpers a few times but this but the letterman style with the leather arms it w there was only that wow. version done wow it wasn't until the show moved over to CBS that it became like a thing oh. and every year they did a new version oh, really? so it was pants and then worldwide pants yeah. and then with you know the year and you know all sorts <laughs> of versions so and that was you know 22 years of Versions and versions. Uh, back in the day, the first year, uh, the the jacket said Ed Sullivan Theater, and Lori Diamond at the time, Dave's assistant, uh, mm -hmm. when they at that whenever they first moved over, she said that was because the show didn't have a name yet. When they were ordering the jackets, they didn't yet have a name for the show. The C all the pencils we have some original Dave pencils over there. They don't have a name of the show on it. They just say CBS. They sort of just all the stuff you had to order art department and otherwise. Apparently, they were like, well, let's get it going. Yeah. <laughs> and I was gone at that point so yeah. I was only there for late night and when everything moved over a lot they, of those people were the same in the beginning right who moved over well there were some I mean first of all a lot of people from the beginning of the show in 82 didn't make it to the end sure that's a good and point and so of the people that lasted for the 11 years you know how many of those moved over there's and then at the very end of all 33 years I think there were maybe I don't know what the number is, Don, maybe five or six. I th maybe who, maybe that many. Barbara Gaines and a handful of others. Right. And Jude. Jude Brennan, right. But it, she left for a bit, though. So do we count her? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I we count. So. I guess we count Jude. I think so. Um, so I guess 
you really started with NBC. This is kind of how I used to explain to people. I was like, well, when you work for the network, they kind of just assign you to wherever, this studio, that show, whatever. Um, I'm assuming it was that way in the graphics department. Because no, I, did, I just worked on SNL freelance stuff initially, and that was just for the art department. I wasn't an NBC staffer. Oh, okay. And then I started working for late night the show and that was directly for the show oh, so, that's so great. those were those were basically two separate gigs that happened to run through the same department though all right so you're at late night you're doing all this stuff um somebody who was very very special to me when i was a kid because i used to call her up and annoy her and, and interview her and just ask her all sorts of questions about all the stuff we're sitting at right now this microphone this desk those chairs kathleen anchors um Fans of the show will remember her because she was on air a lot as the either the ticket lady right. or the, uh, the 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 NBC bookmobile was always right. one of my favorites. Or she had the foul-mouthed chambermaid, Peggy the foul-mouthed chambermaid. She always had wonderful characters because she was such a personality. She had a very strong accent and <laughs> strong opinions and a <laughs> and a mouth. <laughs> she's an older-looking lady, right? Yeah. Tiny little old lady. British. Totally unexpected. I. I this lady meant the world to me. Um, and I, I would imagine that because of how the art department works that you guys probably cross paths a bit. Yeah. So the art department included, you know, set decorators and set designers, production designers, and graphic designers. So it was all within one suite. And so that was, you know, where I came and went to, you know, whether it's processing and looking at prints and proof sheets and and then concepting um, and, you know, post, po- post-production post on photography. So, I mean, I didn't deal with her directly. I She was just in that same department, sure. but I'd see her all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was great. <laughs> on the phone with some kid. Um, I literally used to, I was like, well, how do you make the money? You know, she said, well, dear, you could replicate that with a, <laughs> with a tennis ball, with a racquetball racket uh, thing. Hilarious stuff. Um do you know that I have one of those Letterman jackets because Dave gave it to Which me? One? Do you know the story? The late this show. One? No, no, the late show, but the oh, okay. late show on it. No, it's clearly an homage to that. Good. Oh, then I don't want to tell you the story. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the place. Um, all right, I was trying to get my phone going here so that I can show yeah, some of let's the look pictures. Um, if this is, it keeps it keeps knocking me out here, so I may have to just hold them up. Um, but that's okay too. We can hold up the book, which is bigger. We can hold up the book. If you want to hold up the book, I'll pull up photos here because some of these, I think, the behind the scenes aren't in the book, right? Some of them, you yeah, s- a lot of the behind the scenes are not. There are three fi- three uh, folders here we, we want to talk about, the 747, uh, the bumpers, and then the behind the scenes picks. I mean, this is a good one. This is a – should I hold it like that? That's pretty close. Oh, a little here. higher. There you go. Yeah, that's. I mean, like this so is. This is a classic. This is this was a an example of a shot on the fly. This is walking through Central Park, coming up in front of the Guggenheim Museum, and this is a, you know, a good humor ice cream truck, and I just grabbed this snap real quick. And this is also daylight. This is unusual. Mm. Most everything we shot at night, and so this is just a simple film print, and. You know, on the print, Arlen Schumer, in this case, one of the graphic designers, did an incredible job turning this into just this unassuming little shot. So what's the process here? You take the image of the good humor truck by the Guggenheim, and then 
some graphic artist goes in and paints late night over good humor and that's sort of how it becomes what it is that's the yeah, process so, you were describing earlier yeah so the process is we shot on film ne- negative film we get proof sheets color proof sheets order the prints which were usually uh 11 by 14 um and some of them had in camera graphics like this is probably one of the most famous purely you know 100 percent in camera so those are props, late night beer in the freezer, st- stuck in the, in the freezer <laughs> that needs was, to be defrosted. <laughs> so there's no post graphics here, right? And so it was a little bit. It was kind of fifty fifty. A lot of you know we'd bring a prop, and sometimes we'd shoot something and then do after, a, you know. Um, but you mentioned post- like fine, you know, the good humor truck was just a found item in, in right. So, but. I, I don't know what it looked. My dad was a commercial photographer, but I didn't get to visit his work and see how they did uh, a, a, all of the photo engraving and stuff like that. Does he literally take the prints that you were talking about that you had made out and start drawing on them, and that becomes oh, yeah. a new master? This is, this is absolutely pure and straightforward. That makes in, me so happy. In in advertising, the art involved in advertising photos when they would you know need to change. Um, change you know the hubcap on a car or fix a palm tree in the background that was you know very meticulous microscopic work um that this was you know literally artwork collage graphics on top of a print that's what i was getting at and and the end layered on and this is another great example of a shot that was picked up on the fly this is the um car wash I love that shot and so that all those graphics above the car and off to the side are on the on the print it's so great but we just literally saw that while driving down the the highway mm. again these are th- that's the story for you it's a, it's it's 30 seconds one time because you saw something that inspired you for the rest of us it is <laughs> a lifetime here's a good one Oh no, that's somebody wearing the jacket, working on their car, yeah. and it's the battery. So that's two. <laughs> so that's two jackets. That's, two different hands. That's my arm on the left, <laughs> wearing a jacket, holding the camera with my right arm, and then Pook's arm on the right. So you, you're doing this Jim Henson Muppet uh, style. Totally. Yeah, I love it. I'm like I absolutely fully love it. Winging it. You and Frank Oz. <laughs> You got one hand in the mouth, one hand doing a, an arm, and then somebody's oh, doing the other arm, you know? Yeah, so we could get away with pretty much anything. And sometimes we just shoot things and figure out later how the graphics would be integrated. Sometimes it was obvious, and sometimes it oh, became that makes sense. You know, sometimes... a lot of kind of tr- cut and paste and, and trial. So some stuff you would know what you were going to go for, and then some stuff uh, you just, oh, I like that texture, or Ooh, the, it's nice composition for whatever reason right i love it but maybe that's perhaps you know that that these there's some reason that these all resonated with us right us our generation like is it because they weren't trying too hard is it because they weren't beating it in the face with a fish with the messaging and the whole thing and so we weren't rebelling against it like we did the was, rest of i was gonna say earlier like i never noticed or never knew how they were made but i always noticed that they seamlessly integrated a late night mention mm-hmm. and that's all it was so like it didn't be anything over that it was 
organic and seamless and we're putting it up because we have to but it's not going to be the usual shit yeah and it's artistic it's not produced and done and fancy <laughs> and here's your late night I mean, bologna <laughs> late so night cuts of meat the the shot list item here is we need more food okay? <laughs> so we went to a deli and got you know four or five shots but you can barely see where, you know, late night is kind of there. And then on the top row of bologna, it says with David Letterman. Oh, I see it up there. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is, you know, to be, you know, maybe hide the graphics or be subtle about it and not be slick. These were never intended to be slick. And, you know, my influences photographically were, you know, street photographers like Lee Friedlander Robert Frank, who, you know, were walking around with Leicas and Nikons and just capturing sort of life. So there might be three things going on in a frame. And so I was really kind of playing off of that look and feel for most of this stuff. I still I keep using the word influential, but it, re it really was for people like me. And then the other fact that every show sort of did a version of this ever since. You know, they've all sort of been, this became part of the model. Yeah, I mean, the the other show that was on at the same time was SNL, but that was all about portraits of the guest. Carson did their version, which was always coming, you know, come back. More to come. More to come. Yeah. But those were very illustration-oriented. And so to, to take those two ideas and do a, a version of it could not have been more fun i was gonna ask was this fun it seems like it would have been fun best, best job of my career by far no question about it that makes me happy to it hear. was fun to do but more than anything to you know be at home at twelve thirty, and there's a shot that i shot three days ago or two weeks ago or something that i hadn't thought of that played into the show perfectly you know that's where things became cool so the part i was talking about was later on they would they would it seemed like whoever would load up the bumper cards often did try to theme it out with whatever was going on in the show yeah certainly with the with regards to at least who the guest was that night seemed um and i loved it because it was another little area where they sandwiched in some creativity that show was creativity crapped everywhere <laughs> all the little corners and crevices and uh it was just one more place to put it so that was brian McAloon. Brian oh. McAloon was the AD on the show for the the entire show. Um, Hal Gurney was the director. But Brian, before every show, queued up all of the bumpers based on season, who the guests were, actor, athlete, musician. And so he'd queue them up, but with the option of flipping something on the fly. Oh. And that's where things became really you know, successful is his ability to flip something based on what the, a guest said in, you know, in the interview. That's specifically what I'm That's talking about. That's where they about. came to life. Because sometimes you wouldn't know what the hell, you know, oh, the guest is so-and-so, but then they but, have a, a conversation about uh, spray painting a car for some reason, whatever. And then all of a sudden there's a bumper with a spray painted car, late night with David Letterman. Very cool. That must have been him knowing the library that well, too, and knowing what he could pull from. Yeah, I mean, and and he was the one that would basically, you know, Producers, um, Hal Gurney, the director, um, maybe writers, but it was mainly Brian 
who would say to Ed, we need more food. We need more um, – we need hockey. Oh, so the note when you went to shoot the bologna is, hey, we need more food from yeah, Brian. we need more food. Wow. Do you know who we're talking about here? When they were go to the control meeting, you'd see Hal, you'd see Pete Fadovich, usually down at the end of the line near Jude or whoever, you'd see somebody else, and that was often Brian. Oh. And I think he often – would, he would either direct or technical to direct the show sometimes too, right? Because he ended up directing, I think, late, late. He moved over to Late Late Show, yeah. Yeah, that's where I met him when he was doing, I think, Kilborn or Ferguson back in those days. Yeah, yeah. And he's here in L.A. I didn't realize that he was, I didn't realize he was, that's what he was doing back then. I don't know what I, I don't know what I thought. I don't know the year that he moved out here, but that's when, you know, the the show that followed, Dave. I'm going to make a note to reach out to Brian McAloon and see if he would do our little show here. Oh, absolutely. He's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, all right. K- keep going down the list here. Do we want to keep looking at bumpers or do we want to look at behind the scenes picks? Or can we talk about the 747 show? Because it's one of my all time favorite shows. Well, it was episode. the coolest, craziest television show ever made. Let's, <laughs> let's shoot a show on an airplane. Like the whole show is shot on the plane. It was insane. During a flight. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. T- we took off. <laughs> they went. They were, it was not on the tarmac. No. No way. It was really flying? Holy yeah. fuck. So, oh my God. So I'm going to try to pull these up while you I don't talk know who's, who takes credit for the idea. Maybe it was Meryl Marco, um, who was the head writer at the time. But the idea was fourth anniversary. What do we do? And someone said, let's shoot the whole show on, uh, on an airplane. And so they figured out where we're going to fly from. JFK to Miami. So whatever that is, maybe two and a half hours or so. Yeah. And so maybe not even that much. So about a month in advance, we, they gave us access to an airplane at JFK in a hangar to shoot bumpers. And so there's Pook. TWA, it looks like. There's Pook, Ed, myself, um, Maria Donnell, who was Dave's assistant. She played the stewardess in some of the shots. And who did? Marie O'Donnell. No kidding. Yeah. And so we shot maybe eight or ten images, maybe more. I don't remember exactly. Um, But they gave us full reign to hang out and do whatever we wanted. They gave us airplane food. They gave us, you know, the full galley. So, um, And this is just prepping. This isn't the actual show yet, right? No, this is just for our bumper shoot. So we could come back and, and get them ready for the show. This is unbelievable. And so then for the show... They needed to fill up the plane, and so there was some um, crew on the plane. I was on the plane. I brought a friend of mine, my friend Mac Haskell. They let me bring him, and he just, you know, sat, you know, in the seating. As I remember this, was it was it first class? It was the nose of the of the of the 747. Yeah, the front end was where the show was shot. Because it because this, you know, you can see the curvature yeah. of the fuselage. Yeah, so that show you've got. There's a stupid pet trick. All right, let's, we'll have to scan through here. here. Let's see. On the plane? Yeah. Oh. Let's see. Uh, here we go. Here's a stupid oh. pet trick. Yeah. All right. Zoom in here. Well, now, what was she, What? Is that a dog on her head? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see Are the plane here. Are we allowed to go horizontal on this? No, I'm trying, and every time I do, it keeps kicking me out, so I'm sorry. I don't know how or why. But I see David Sanborn over there in yeah. the front. So the band is up in first class. Yes. Dave's doing stupid pet tricks. With a guest. 
Uh, what I noticed this very specifically was uh, in this shot right here. Look what happened to make the flight. <laughs> that is this very microphone right here, Mark. Not one like it, the actual one. I heard a little story about that. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I got my jacket. Dave gave me my jacket when I gave him the microphone. You but, may be wondering why I'm actually here. <laughs> <laughs> why? But, yeah, so there's Dave. And he's playing the little drum machine there with the band. Yeah, and there's Sid McGinnis in the background, the new drummer for the Rolling Stones. Oh, Steve Jordan. Steve Isn't that the Jordan. coolest? And I sent that to Steve a few months ago. Uh, when, he, he must have been a kid here, right? I mean, he was a he was a child on that show. Twenty five. Oh, We're the same age. Unbelievable. No, so here he would be, twenty nine. Unbelievable. That's so cool. Uh, and then you got your Larry Bud Melman over here, Calvert DeForest, the late great Calvert DeForest, and then Mister Jack Rollins, I think. That's Jack Rollins talking to Calvert. Famous uh, manager of the day. He was, was Woody a, Allen's manager, I think, as yeah. well as Dave. David Steinberg. David Steinberg. Of... So there's sorry. the band. <laughs> Steve. I wish you could go full screen. I know. I'm so sorry about that. I don't really know how or why I'm not able to do it. I was. It was working fine before, as was my little clicker here. So, uh, And then, of course, that's Meryl. That's Meryl. And someone else. <laughs> so... Anyway, it was the coolest thing ever. And so we flew down there. By the time we landed, they got pretty much everything they needed. We got in a bus and went to a hotel and had a big party. And some people were going to stay over and some people were going to come back. So I came back. So we were partying like crazy. This is uh, 86, 1986. Hello. <laughs> and so a bunch of us got back on. It's a different the plane. time. Different time back then. So a bunch of us got back on the plane and came back up to the city. So why stay? Let's get why out stay? of here. Yeah. <laughs> this place is dead anyway. Stuff to do. <laughs> um, oh, and if I'm not mistaken, Steve Jordan said that the the band came back and played the first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that night. You're kidding. Induction so ceremony. It was the first time they did it at the Waldorf Astoria. That's right. And that was that night. That's unbelievable. How crazy is that? That's pretty amazing. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I went to a taping. I mean, I guess it happened once every year, but I went to a taping once with my Aunt Catherine, who was friends with Paul Schaefer, and we were supposed to go. Back, this was at 6A at NBC, and we were supposed to go backstage afterwards, and we we couldn't because they were skedaddle. They were going down the elevator already to go bust out and do that same gig at the at the Waldorf. Before they built the Rock and Roll of Fame, they used to do it in New York right. at the Waldorf Astoria right. in like a ballroom or something. Oh, man, that's Before so cool. Went Small to Cleveland. World. Yeah, I think Cleveland is where it is now. It yeah. was just a yeah. It was just an award show. They didn't shoot it for broadcast. It was just a wicked concert. Nobody cared cared about it. It was, you know. Record executives and Jan Wenner, who thought we should start this. But then, incredible bands and musicians and those Bob nights Dylan. are the best. Like when it's just a small group of people that appreciate what's there. Like before, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, always. that's amazing. But it's pretty awesome now. I mean, I watched. It was just on what a few months ago. So cool. Is uh, in the are, big room? Are Paul and the band still doing it? They're not doing it anymore. They're no. That's a bummer to me, because that, to me, was always part of it. 
Oh, well. Life goes on, Mark Carson. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but it's a different format now. The <clears throat> format back then was Paul and the band played for every inductee yeah. who would get up and cameo in their, on their own songs like they were playing on Late Night. Yes. And then maybe a few other people would fill in. But now on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's, it's, actual it's music. just that yeah. band playing that music specifically. So it's a, it's a, more a bigger thing. thing. I, I used to like the jam element of, yeah. oh, Dave Matthews goes up and does it. Oh, Bob Dylan yeah. is just doing a number with them. It was fun. They were the house band. That was the house band. That's what they used to call it. Did you ever go to any of those? I didn't. Are you a music guy? You strike me as maybe guy. a music guy because yeah. of the art. I um I covered a lot of music stuff and MTV stuff, but I never went to that specific show. Mm. Just shooting all the PR stuff behind the scenes. I, you know, I shot MTV Music Video Awards and um some concert stuff here and there, but not a lot. It was more like portraits and actual you know, kind of marketing or portrait shoots instead of live performance stuff. I I mean, I shot, you know, on late night, that was the other thing. When there was a big musician, I could say, and I, tomorrow I want to come because Bob Dylan's on. Oh, and sure. So, so I had access to the show, and I'd shoot it and get the film over to Rolling Stone. And well, that's pretty run. cool. Yeah, so I had this nice little machine, which was a win-win for everybody. Good for the show, good for the artist, good for Rolling Stone, good for me, good for everybody. Oh, man. When, uh, did, you, did you ever have to deal with like EPK stuff, electronic press kit stuff yeah. and everything? Is, how is that for you? But, how is that for you and your art? Well, this was before EPKs. Okay, that's what I'm getting This was actual at. PKs, so printed press kits. Um, in the in the eighties, headshots, and so by the nineties, when I moved to to LA, I had started art directing and became a creative director, and wasn't shooting um, for work anymore. Oh, I was directing photographers. At, at I don't know point. if I realized that, Mark. Yeah. Oh yeah. What kind of stuff? Commercial stuff, or what kind of work? I um, was a creative director for an ad agency here in LA that no, is no longer, but we did CBS entertainment so we did promos for walker texas ranger and a league of their own and murphy brown and i remember all of these i was i was clearly watching television at the time (laughs) yeah so i was working on promos and um, i did a lot of that work myself yeah from a creative and a producing side and i found it to be soul crushing (laughs) because there was a client involved and i and i and i just didn't do well with that the client seemed to interfere with with my art (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's the furthest it was a real job totally removed from the show completely i mean sometimes you're there with talent obviously but it's not like being you know inside of a show like i was you know on late night which was completely living and breathing the program Working in promos is a is a totally different mindset. When you yes. would when you would go to the show, um, is there any way to? Exa- I find that Thirty Rock itself has an energy. There's just being the antenna to the world. There's there's a crazy energy there. The history that's occurred in that building, um, and then you get something like the Letterman Show in the '80s and '90s, which was just a really hot ticket. The energy of that room was booming, and it emanated, and it seemed to energize the whole building. 
Um, was that your experience working on the show as well? Absolutely. Completely. I mean, walking onto that set, you know, minutes before the show, you know, what happened, the hustle bustle in between, you know, during breaks, mm. you know, I've, ca- I've photographed some of those strange moments over time. Um, and then after the show and people walking down the hallway, actually, there's a be- great behind the scenes shot of Bill Graham and the band that is in the behind the scenes. One second, I'm getting to it. But Here yeah, that all Bill of that Graham. energy was, you know, electric beyond belief. And yeah, there's Bill Graham and and is that Hiram and uh, Hiram Bullock and Willie Will and Steve Jordan and Steve Jordan. And that's the original. Well, three of the original uh, members yeah. of the band. Yeah, so that was early. That was you know when Hiram was there. Uh, so that's probably eighty two or eighty three. Wow. I remember those old 30 Rock walls. They were still like that uh, when I worked at Conan. They're not. They're all nice now. That whole floor is so nice. <laughs> you would never Slipped recognize it, it. How about this guy? Yeah, so there's Bob Dylan on TV. Yeah, that's the floor of 6A in the early days, so I know where and you so are. That's, so on that same show was Liberace. <laughs> and after... You talk about experimental. And after the show, all of a sudden there was this buzz... Uh, Dylan wants a photo. And so in the behind the scenes stuff, you'll see there's a shot of Dave, Bob Dylan, and Liberace, which obviously the press went wild on that. So that, and that's a photo that has been shared on social a million times. It's I'm really trying funny. To find, oh, wait, no. Oh, no, I don't have it. Well, it's probably in here, but. I don't, oh, like, oh, yeah, there. No, that's Bob Weir, and can you see these? They're all teeny tiny because I can't go landscape. There. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I have seen that. He's sitting on the desk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Dave in his sweats. I never would have believed this was the same show. Unbelievable. Good Lord. So, yeah, like crazy moments. It's so cool to me. Um, you know, you, you take the elevator upstairs and then they have you in that, you know, all the crazy windy hallways and the music, the, the end is still warming up generally. So the music is just booming, booming, booming. This was back when I was uh, in the audience at, at Dave in the old days. And, and, you know, there's all these different holding points. And then once you finally get into the room, it's all teeny tiny. And it's all forced perspective, not on dissimilar to this. Nothing was kind of how you thought it would be. And, uh, and it changed me for the rest of my life. And it made me want to then only want to go work and do that sort of thing. And, uh, and then working at uh, Conan, um, uh, it was a different experience. <laughs> they, they hated us those first few years. <laughs> we had the opposite energy. People would, like, put their head down and stuff. They wouldn't, they wouldn't look at anybody. It was weird. Uh, I can't imagine what it was. So you were on Conan at, at, when he took over for Dave? Yeah, I worked on Conan the first year. It was 94, cool. but it was the first season still, and it wow. was like weekly pickups. It was really rough. A lot of the same people from late night, were uh, from Dave, rather, were still there because they were NBC Union guys, like all the audio guys I was working with. I don't know if you remember any of them. Glenn Arbor. Okay. Um, I don't remember why I was telling you all that but yes uh it was a completely different energy i would have loved to have been uh on the uh, you know the sixth floor side of things uh back in the dave days to see what that must have felt like to walk through those blue doors and th- the audience was just 
It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's that that's what's so incredible about the show and what happened all those years in terms of careers that came out of that show and the style of making the show and the run and gun stuff and surprises. But it's certainly the experimentality of the show was unlike any show we see now, mm. for sure. And, yeah. you know, certainly when, you know, when Dave went to CBS, you know, it was a different, it, it shifted gears in, in many ways and mm. was in this, you know, historic, beautiful, you know, studio. Cavernous space, yeah. Stage. But so it wasn't about what can we figure out because we're in this tiny little 6A stage. Yes. You know, it was... So that that's what happened when you know felt the in same way. 80s. They were playing in six A, and and uh, and this the theater was a show. Yeah, uh, I, I love all of the stuff you're doing. How can other people be a part of it? Where can they either see your art and or maybe even own a piece? Oh, so right now there um, six bumpers are on view at Bergamot Station Art Center over in Santa Monica, which is a big arts complex with about 45 galleries and in the Santa Monica auctions space are six of the bumpers which are now on view for the next few weeks and on May 15th there'll be an auction for bumpers prints and books as combo sets May 15th May 15th the type 2022 thing. <laughs> you have to be there in person <laughs> can you do it online you can do it online um, phone in and in person. I love it. So I'll probably be there. Not probably. I will be there on this Saturday as the preview continues and they expand um, and start to put up tents and things. But this is an auction that's been around for 35 years. So art collectors from all over this area come and there's the, incredible stuff there. Is this the one at the Santa Monica Airport? No. No. I don't know where Bergamot Station Olympic is. Olympic and 23rd. Oh, I do know exactly where so it is. So it's near then. Lantana. Sure. So it's about five blocks from Lantana. Yeah, and the, the L.A. Farms over there. There's a lot of good stuff over there. Okay. Yeah. Larry David's office is over there. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Lantana. Right down there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right, so May 15th. But there's a what lot of... What day of the week is that? It's a Sunday. Oh, maybe we can come to that. So there's a lot of photography. <laughs> is it open to other people? Can we come? <laughs> no, you can come just to watch. That's what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Or orbit. No, we'll they love they love for people to come and check it out just so you understand the system and the routine yeah. and the scope. There's you know things. There are um, pieces you know three five hundred dollars all the way up to there's a set of photographs by a photographer named William Eggleston. He was the first photographer at the Museum of Modern Art to show color photography in mm. the 60s. Still alive. I think he's 84 years old. And he has an addition. There's a, it's not his. It's from an owner. Um, 11 prints shot at Graceland, and the estimated price is $250,000. Are they of Elvis and Priscilla, or no, are they just of the house? it's just of the house. Priscilla commissioned him to do it. Oh, so I she see. invited him to come and photograph Graceland. That's pretty cool. And they sold them as art prints, and it's just like furniture. And yeah, the jungle paint. room, whatever. Yeah, crazy oh, stuff like that. Cool. And so they and they were shot in the eighties. <laughs> that's going to be a little bit more than three or five hundred bucks. <laughs> Two hundred 
$250,000 yeah, assessment. <laughs> 250 to 350. So today's market might, might, might go more than that too. So it'll be fun. Oh man, I'm so excited for you. Is this, is this fun to still be working on something that you did many, many years ago? Yeah. It's hard to believe that, you know, I'm still, that I still have a connection to all of this, you know, over the years, you know, especially when I got into promo land and people say, well, what have you worked on that I would remember, you know, that I'd recognize? Well, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing this show called Love and War. I've never heard of that. Um, Is that Annie Potts and Jay yeah. Thomas? <laughs> Can't believe so, I've heard of it. <laughs> um, or I'm doing a Candid Camera on cable. Oh, that's good. <laughs> or, yeah. So, but when I, but when I'd mentioned late night, people would, their eyes would pop open and they would always say the same thing. Every night in high school, I would watch late night with, you know, hidden in a closet. You're supposed so my, to be asleep, yeah. Yeah. So, <sighs> you know. We this, all had the same thing. <laughs> this is what I grew up with, these stories. And, you know, I realized that that was the, not to mention I worked on it for 11 years, so. It wasn't like just doing some promos or main titles. This no, was, that's a life. It was a lifestyle. So, what do you? What did you bring that you shoot with? Uh, is this just your everyday around the neck point and shoot type this of deal? This is my everyday camera. <laughs> Looks to me like an iPhone with a beautiful it case is. on it. <laughs> this is the f so. There's a show on Netflix called Emily in Paris, and I saw in the show she's got this phone case she's shooting like this and i started looking around and on amazon this is the emily in paris iphone case <laughs> stop stop <laughs> with the strap it's the strap that sells it because he Hilarious. has it around his neck 15 bucks but it's meanwhile amazing. hey where's your phone i got it right here at all times so when i go to a photo show like at Leica gallery people come running up to me and they're like oh my god i've never seen that Leica." yeah it's like dude it's just a camera case <laughs> It got me at first too, but then once I saw, you know, noticed the. What's What's cool is this lens looks like it's a lens. It's not. It's just a little proppy lens, but it looks like it's an, like it's it like it's an extension or something. I mean, you can't throw it in your back pocket anymore. That's that's probably it out. Doesn't fit in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> what is your? Uh, do you have a, a, a either a camera or a brand of choice? Um, during Letterman, I shot Nikon's. I shot Pentax six by seven, which is. Um, two and a quarter format, mm -hmm. which you hold like a 35. So the, that was kind of a big step in terms of quality. You couldn't, so you come sometimes on TV. The problem back then is was TV format was 640 by 480. So no which matter how good three, it looked. four roughly, is that right? Well, four, three, rather? Yeah, four, three. Right. So the quality, you know, we could get away with a lot, especially with the graphics. Like something that you can see graphically in terms of you know the roughness we would you could get away with with ntsc now with high def you would see all of the crunchy uh, lines but anyway so i shot film cameras the entire time we never touched a digital camera ever shot leica several times mm. along the way but that was just for things where i needed to be kind of invisible and not get a lot of attention i gotcha and then, you know, in digital land, Nikon and Sony's and all sorts of different contraptions. 
digital, do you find, uh, I don't know, my, my dad always shot Nikon as well in the film days, but he was not alive for digital. He didn't get to see that. Um, do, is there still the Canon Nikon debate in the digital world? Do people still care? Because, you know, theoretically, aren't all the chips and processors made in the same places these days, so it's all software anyway? The biggest switch in the last few years is how uh, Sony has a silent mode. So Sony has uh, mirrorless cameras, mm -hmm. and so set photographers can shoot silent. It's amazing. No, it's incredible. And you literally, no or, or you can turn the volume up, or you can change the sound of it. So if you really want to create a presence, Let you can turn know. the volume up. Yeah, which is oh, sometimes it's a good digital. Thing. It's not because it's not actually moving. There's no, there's no shutter. So it's mirrorless. It's just making a, it's like your car. There's no sense. There's, letting everyone know you're around. So my son, who's a photographer, and shoots on a lot of TV shows, uh, is getting ready to shoot on some network shows. Shoots for Netflix a lot. So that's a big thing. Being able to shoot without the whole blimp thing, yeah. and and being, uh, you know, a problem during, um, you know, live. The, the blimp thing was ridiculous. But as far as the difference between Nikon or Canon or Sony in terms of lens and quality and so forth, it's indistinguishable. Yeah, it's a function of well. features. That's what I find as well. What do you? How do you like usability? What's the interface? Yeah. Um, you are so fascinating. Uh, I'm I'm grateful that you took the time to do this, but also I hope that you would come back sometime. I'd love to. You're local, right? I'd love to come back. Okay. Treat us however you're supposed to treat us when there's a show around that you can visit anytime, like you used to have that, <laughs> that relationship. Well, thanks for, I love what you guys are doing. I love the worlds that you play in, you know, cars and late night. And, you know, the, obviously, you know, Dave, who's a, you know, car head and, and Jay, who's, you know, been a guest and Spike, who, you know, I know from, he knows a lot about cars, you know, from the back in the day, that whole, you know, gear and transportation and lifestyle and late night television and, you know. We thought it would be kind of like you, like, oh, we thought it would be a real small niche. <laughs> but then it's interesting how many people that does appeal to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Are you a car guy, too? So I rode on two wheels on bicycles. Oh. So I was a bicycle racer in high school. And we and I grew, went to high school here in L.A. Oh. And in the. In the spring, we'd have races up in Malibu. And so when you guys do all of that country store stuff, yeah, I remember going up there when I was in high school. The rock store. Well, we would – the um, Cross Creek didn't, as, didn't exist. Oh, you literally mean Cross Creek. I remember that. So the, there was the bridge, but there was no – there was like a hardware store and there was a gas station. There was a movie theater at one point. And so we had an, a, an annual first season bike race right there and one year a bunch of ferrari guys came up <laughs> just hanging out like watching all the bike racers and we were on steel bikes back then and you know the, these ferraris this one guy who had a single windshield wiper whatever it was 1970 something i don't know what it was <laughs> i don't know either it sounds cool but we were sitting there looking at this and we were just bike racers with shaved legs and like you know lycra and all this stuff and a cop came driving up and started giving him a hard time about his single windshield wiper thing. And we were like, oh, my God. We rode away, and the cop wrote him a ticket. Holy crap. Well, that shit hasn't changed, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
I'll never forget that. They're still Cross dealing the with the same thing up there. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. The, again, how the worlds are parallel. When I first moved to L.A., I lived in those condos at Pepperdine on the Hill that oh. looked down on that Cross cool. Creek. So that was that was the first few months of my L.A. experience right there. That's why I know the movie theater used to be a pizza hut there. There was a bunch of, was a bunch of shit that's not there anymore. Now it's all fancy and nice. Yeah, now it's yeah, it's too fancy and too nice. Yeah, but it's legitimately a pizza place. Yeah, but those, <laughs> you know that world. Yeah, so I lived that world on bicycles, and over the last twenty years, my son was a big bike racer, and so we're up and down the coast, teams and training and motor pacing. Sorry, how old is your son? He's thirty. Oh wow! And he, he's still into bicycles. No, he now he works uh, part time. Um, with a a pro team called Legion of Los Angeles. They're the number one pro cycling team in the U.S. right now. Their men's team and their women's team. Big sponsors. My son is their um, photographer and also handles a lot of their media deals. What's your son's name? Got to give him a plug. Kit Carson. I love it. (laughs) KitCarson.com. Um, we have reached the thank you, follow, and plug portion. Uh, thank you very much for being here, Mark. The follow portion is rather easy. It's just your name, right, at uh, Instagram? So, no, at uh, Twitter. So, Go ahead. You tell us. So, Screw um, it all up. So the book stuff is, letter- <laughs> the book stuff is LettermanBumpers.com. Oh. Oh. So the book stuff is LettermanBumpers.com. I've been sending people to Amazon. So they, Letterman- they, can go to, they can go to Amazon as okay, well. Okay, okay. But the, on the on the website, you can get a blurb book or an Amazon book, whatever's easiest for you. Carzen.com is all sorts of stuff with me. and K-A-R-Z-E-N? K-A-R-Z-E-N, yeah. I love it. I'm grateful that you took the time to do this, and your auction is May 15th. May 15th at Bergamont Station. Santa Monica, California. Yeah. 20, 23rd and Olympic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's it. Thursday, we are back here with producer Mike, uh, who will be hopefully have dried his tears from his experience at Disneyland, and we'll get to wetting them all up again when he experiences sitting in the, the well, I call them the Chris Farley chairs, but the, the late night and late show chairs. Um, so that's what's going on on Thursday, Friday, GBBC. Next week, we're back with Emmy Hall and Phil Morris. If you don't know who Phil Morris is, yes, you do. Jackie Childs from uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> who told you to put the bomb on? Uh, he's an actor, he's a very talented voiceover guy, and he's a friend of ours from Breakfast Club up in the mountains, car guy, so he'll be here as well. Speaking of that world and <laughs> how it all goes. Love you so very much. Mark Carson, we love you. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Nicole. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you for being here, buddy. Uh, we love everybody at home. Please love one another, and we will see you out there. I'm Johnny Lieberman, and you're watching LMP. What does LMP stand for? Late Night Place. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've been on there. Yeah, good job. <laughs> you should like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs>